AOA is brought to you by Cenex Matron Synthetic Diesel Engine Oils, oils that run smart. Informing America's farmers and ranchers, this is AOA, produced by the American Ag Radio Network. Here's your host, Mike Adams. Hello, folks. Thanks for tuning in to Adams on Agriculture. I'm Mike Pearson, sitting in for Mike Adams this week. A lot to talk about on today's show. Later in the program, Jim Sutter, the CEO of the U.S. Soybean Export Council, will be joining us to talk about bean shipments and what the future might look like for meal exports out of the United States. Then Nathan Kaufman, excuse me, Dr. Nathan Kaufman, the vice president of the Omaha branch of the Kansas City Federal Reserve, will be with us. And we're going to talk about inflation pressures and interest rates, what to watch as that renewal season comes around with your lender. And finally, we're going to finish the show talking with Jeremy Dutch. He's a farmer from Poplar Grove, Illinois. We're going to hear how harvest is progressing in that part of the world. But first, we're going to talk the cattle market, well, and the pork market, all the protein markets with Dennis Smith from Archer Financial Services. Dennis, thanks for taking the time to talk to us today. Thank you, you're welcome. Let's talk first and foremost, cattle on feed report, Dennis, coming out tomorrow afternoon. You spend a lot of time in these markets. What do you expect to see? Now, these are September placements. They're expected to uh, be on either side of unchanged. I think the average guess is up 1%. Uh, the, the range is like maybe down 3% to up 2%. And, and I, I suspect we will come in just very close to 100% of a year ago. That would leave total cattle on feed at around 99% of a year ago, with the marketing pace expected to be around 97 maybe 98% of a year ago. So Dennis, with that being the case, are we cutting the corner here or making the turn on this large uh, cattle herd we've got in this country? We are. We are expected to see fewer cattle available in the fourth quarter as compared to a year ago. So we're thinking that production will begin to peak out and start to work downward. Cattle weights are still below a year ago. Uh, although they're 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 about eight pounds below a year ago, you are talking about heavyweight cattle of a year ago. So that's not a real bullish factor. But as long as we've got weights below a year ago and fewer numbers, which is what we expect in the fourth quarter, that should carry through into the first quarter, even the second quarter of next year. We should be seeing some improvement, I think, in cattle prices. Well, let's talk about that improvement. Dennis, how much improvement could be out there? We're struggling uh, to, to really get this market going. That's been obvious for the last 16 months, really, since the uh, since the plant fire, the Tyson plant fire. It's been a huge struggle in the beef industry. The cash market's around 124. I think by Thanksgiving, this is real serious. I think you could see a 130 cash steer market as soon as Thanksgiving, as this thing really begins to take shape and to improve rather quickly. Dennis, a domestic demand has been very strong as consumers have had cash to spend on beef at the grocery store, but export demand for this past year has been very strong and that's got to be helpful longer term in this beef business, don't you think? No doubt about it. Beef exports this year are record large. They're up 21% and we think this will carry through right into next year. And the dominant reason is China. China is now our number three beef customer and we expect that to continue. And let's think back to two years ago. Was China even on our radar as a beef export partner? I believe two years ago, they would not even accept U.S. beef because of hormone restrictions. So what, what's changed? What's going to pump, you know, move them up this far this quick? Well, they need uh, they need protein. They they've got uh, 1.6 billion. They've got a problem with their pork production. Although pork prices right now are sharply lower, they are liquidating their pork herd. Uh, they are seeing uh, growth in in their middle class, and they are seeing a situation in which they need to keep meat on the table, and beef is becoming successfully introduced into the middle class of China, that is U.S. beef. And this is a real opportunity for the U.S. beef producer. 
Now, I understand in the past, China has purchased beef from foreign countries, but it's been Australia, it's been Brazil, and they're out of the market is my understanding. Yeah, right now there is a total ban on Brazilian beef going into China as imposed by China due to the two BSE cases that Brazil experienced. This was announced in early September, but the cases themselves were identified in late June. So the big time gap there has got China really aggravated and really questioning what exactly is going on in Brazil. That ban is indefinite and that'll really help the U.S. beef business. Well, let's talk about the pork market. You mentioned there in China, pork prices have collapsed and it wasn't that long ago pork prices were record high in that country. Dennis, what changed? Yeah, well, we've seen a, a central planning where they gave massive amounts of money and incentives to, to eliminate the small producer, to build mega producers, expand aggressively, which they did. But what they have not done is they have not contained African swine fever. Now you've got the disease still spreading. Now you've got overproduction. And now you have liquidation, massive liquidation of breeding stock, as well as a, a panic of market hogs going to market ahead of being diagnosed with the disease. And it's created a massive glut of pork. But once the dog hits the end of the chain, so to speak, uh, you're going to see pork prices come roaring right back in China. What's your expectation on a timeline for those prices to come back? Well, that's hard to predict, but it'll be, uh, say, three to four months from now. I think you will see pork prices in China sharply higher than where they are today. You know, in the meantime, Dennis, pork prices in this country are down 40, 40 plus percent over the past six months. Is there going to be a turnaround in domestic pork prices? Yeah, I think you're going to see the, the hog market and the pork market in general bottom out very soon. Uh, overall, we are bottoming out, if if I'm correct, from a fairly high standpoint with the uh, carcass value right around $100. Hams are cheap right now. They're trading at 50 cents a pound. Pork has got value here, and I think we're close to some sort of an important bottom in both cash hog prices and in U.S. pork uh, cutout values. You know, in a little bit, we're going to be talking to the Kansas City Federal Reserve about inflation expectations. Dennis, on the meat side, is inflation going to make a difference here in the medium term? Well, inflation will will support the, the meat market in a general sense. And if crude oil prices keep going higher, we expect very strong poultry demand and rising poultry prices with product going to the Middle East, who are the large benefactories of the rising crude oil market. So a rising tide will lift all boats in the meat situation. It will. And that's interesting. Has the Middle East been a large importer of American poultry in the past? Oh, yeah. Yeah, they're a big customer and they will get bigger uh, as well as poultry going to China, other parts of Asia. Uh, but it, it's, a, it's a demand situation in which demand for U.S. protein is good and probably going to get better. Good and going to get better. I'm sure that is good news for a lot of our folks listening who are producing that delicious American protein, Dennis. You bet. It's real good news. It certainly is. Well, Dennis Smith from Archer Financial Services, thanks so much for taking the time to talk to us. And we'll be talking to you on This Week in Agribusiness over the weekend. Thank you. You're welcome. And folks, stay with us. When we return, we'll be talking to Jim Sutter, the CEO of the U.S. Soybean Export Council, about just what the export picture looks like for American beans and bean products. Stay with us here on Adams on Agriculture. AOA is brought to you by Cinex Premium Diesel. Cinex Premium Diesel. Diesel that doesn't mess around. I choose the Roundup Ready Extend crop system because I know they've got my back. Their Spray Early Weed Control Guarantee helps me get the most out of early season applications. If I experience less than commercially acceptable performance, I'm eligible for up to $15 per acre on additional applications. That's a system I can depend on. The Roundup Ready Extend crop system. See program details at SprayEarlyGuarantee.com. Guarantee is subject to program restrictions. Always follow pesticide label directions. They say if you listen hard enough, you can hear the corn grow. It's true. When you're out in the field, you understand its challenges and what it needs to thrive. 
Channel Seedsmen bring insights from the field to our team of Bayer plant breeders. Their knowledge inspires our product development. From your best ground to your most challenging conditions, our products are designed to perform in your fields. Visit ChannelListens.com to see our latest innovations. Always read and follow IRM where applicable. Grain marketing and all other stewardship practices and pesticide label directions. These acres you've put your life into. Your view each harvest morning. While the ag industry changes, this land is meant to be here for your grandkids and then theirs. That's why ADS and drainage contractors across the nation are doing our part to protect America's farm families. We're proud to provide water management solutions that make family farms like yours more profitable, now and for generations to come. Learn more about how we keep families farming at ADSPipe.com. Join us every Tuesday for Around the Table, brought to you by CHS, as we examine how the modern cooperative system solves today's biggest challenges. We'll be talking to CHS experts and farmers and ranchers just like you, and we'll learn how cooperatives apply innovation and technology to help co-op owners get more value every day. So join us for Around the Table every Tuesday, or visit cooperativeownership.com to learn more. You are not your diagnosis. A medical chart is not your identity. And vision loss does not define you. Your drive shows who you are. And you are not alone. Because we are driven too. To be a beacon of strength. A champion of courage. An advocate for hope. You are not alone. Because we are stronger together. We drive the research for the cures we are finding. We're fighting macular degeneration, retinitis pigmentosa, Usher syndrome, and the entire spectrum of blinding retinal diseases. We fund. We fight. We We win. We 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 are are the the foundation foundation fighting blindness. blindness. Together, we are fighting blindness. Join the fight at fightingblindness.org. AOA is brought to you by Cinex Premium Diesel. Cinex Premium Diesel. Diesel that doesn't mess around. Information America's farmers and ranchers need to know on AOA. Now, back to Mike Adams. Welcome back to AOA. Mike Pearson sitting in for Mike Adams this week. We're going to talk to Jim Sutter, the CEO of the U.S. Soybean Export Council, about just how exports are looking for soybeans. Jim, thanks for taking the time to talk to us today. Well, Mike, it's a pleasure to be with you. Thank you for the opportunity. Let's talk first. We had the uh, soybean export sales. Well, all export sales were reported this morning by the USDA. Soybean exports and sales were looking very strong, Jim. We had 2.875 roughly million tons of soybeans sold this past week. That is good news, is it not? Yeah, I think it is really good news. And, uh, you know, it's it's not all that surprising. This is the time of year when we ought to be seeing these sales happening, but it's great to see them actually coming to fruition. And we always knew that it was going to be a little bit of a slow ramp up to the year just because we had smaller carry-in stocks in this marketing year than we have in the last couple. So, World buyers had to wait until we had uh, actually had some harvest taking place to be able to get some new crop soybeans available to be exporting. But now that we have that, uh, they are coming to the market, and it's great to see this happening. It is. And, Jim, it's interesting. We're not just seeing sales for this next marketing year take place. We're seeing a pretty good pace of physical exports, 2.2 million tons of beans exported. What have you been hearing about how things are working at the ports for grain exports? Well, we've been hearing pretty good news. I, I, you're exactly right. It is, you know, it's one thing to have the sales show up, uh, you know, as a future sale. But what we really want is for the cargo to leave the country. And I think our export industry really did a good job recovering from Hurricane Ida down at the Gulf. Uh, that, uh, you know, if if there can ever be uh, 
good timing for a hurricane to make landfall. Maybe it was good timing that it was as early as it was when we really didn't have so much to be shipping, but they did a great job getting their facilities, most of them, back up and operating. And also, the other ranges of the U.S. You know, the Pacific Northwest is a very important shipment point to, uh, to China and other Asian countries, and then, of course, the East Coast has some facilities. So it's really great to see all of those ranges kicking in because I think we're going to see strong demand here for the next few months. We've got a lot of buyers around the world that have been anxiously awaiting the U.S. having a crop uh, that we can really ship out in good style, and, and that's happening. Well, let's talk about some of those buyers, Jim. We did see on this report China was the major buyer this past week, 1.8 million metric tons. That's certainly a big move. They've been in this market. Who else are you keeping an eye on? Uh, well, clearly China is important, but we're also watching, you know, I, I was in Europe a couple of weeks ago and a lot of buyers there have been watching the situation very carefully and are looking and we're, we're asking questions about the status of the harvest and about how soon we'd have U.S. beans available. So I expect to see European buyers uh, stepping in. Also, it was really great to see on the report Egypt and Bangladesh you know, those are a couple of markets that we've been watching really carefully because they've been growing so dynamically over the last few years. So I was pleased to see them stepping in and doing some purchasing. Uh, and, and it really is just, I, th I think, what, what we want to see is a wide range of countries uh, stepping in to buy. China, obviously the big kahuna, but we, we like it when we see a wide range of countries. And, and this report showed that, and I expect we'll see even more of that in weeks to come. You know, Jim, let's talk a little bit about Egypt and Bangladesh. Egypt was in this report. They're a buyer of 97,000 metric tons. Yep. Are they new to our market? You know, they're relatively new. Uh, so 10 years ago, Egypt was hardly an importer of soy. They, uh, they imported a little bit of soybean meal and some, and some uh, oil. But they really, in the last few years, they've built up a very strong crushing industry. There's a couple of big, large, world-class plants in Egypt, and they have become a much more important buyer uh, in the top, certainly in the top 10, and, uh, and even a couple of years ago in the top five in terms of our international markets. So, and it's really because of their growth in the country with poultry consumption uh, doubling within the last 10 years, or poultry production and consumption, of course, and then the aquaculture has really grown. They're a big producer of uh, tilapia and other types of uh, aquaculture products, and that has grown. So those are really the two main driving forces for soybean meal demand in Egypt. Now, are you seeing similar sources for demand in Bangladesh, which you mentioned was, was on this report and is a market the uh, U.S. SEC has been watching for some time? Is it poultry and aquaculture? Yes, it actually, it actually is. You're correct. It's the same two products in Bangladesh. And yes, that's another market that we've been watching uh, for the last few years. And, uh, and, and it's, it's really an interesting market because like, like, like Egypt, there are a couple of large, big crushing plants that have been put up in the last few years, and they favor U.S. soybeans. And, and in fact, one of the interesting things that's happening in Bangladesh right now is uh, you may have heard and talked about back in August, India opened up a window for soybean meal imports. And it's quite unusual for India to allow, this is really the first time they've allowed large-scale soybean meal imports, but it was because of a shortage in the country and very high meal prices hurting their poultry industry. So we had a difficult time because here in the U.S. it was a very, we didn't have many stocks to be shipping. But interestingly, Bangladesh had a good supply of U.S. soybeans on hand, and they have been taking meal made from U.S. soybeans and shipping it next door into India. So I expect we'll continue to see strong shipments of, of U.S. soybeans going to Bangladesh, and then the meal gets trucked next door into India. So there's uh, several hundred trucks a day of soybean meal going from Bangladesh to India. So kind of an unusual trade, uh, but, but I think it's, it's, it's just an example of how we really are in such a global market. And one other quick market I just wanted to highlight because it's, it's a market that we've had for years, but we lost it for the last few, and that is Turkey. There were some uh, issues with Turkey and biotech approvals. But recently, after much work and, uh, and continuing to keep our nose to the grindstone, we've, uh, we've, they have now approved the uh, traits that needed to be approved. And so we have U.S. soybeans again going into Turkey, which is great. And I see that they were on the list this week as well. 
that is good news. Jim, from your position at the U.S. Soybean Export Council, when these countries, Egypt, Bangladesh, Turkey, etc., are looking to make purchasing decisions, we all kind of think they're just going to go to the cheapest source out there. But I know you have been working to make sure American beans stay top of mind. Can you tell us a little bit about the work U.S. SEC has done to keep U.S. beans at the forefront? You bet. That is really what we try to do. We try to talk about the U.S. soy advantage. And, and the characteristics or the things that we bring up when we talk about that are, of course, the quality advantage of U.S. soy. And it really comes from a couple of things. In the, in the, if, if a person, you know, the meal is obviously very important. They're feeding livestock with the meal. And U.S. soy has demonstrated uh, advantages in the area of amino acids and energy levels versus soy of other origins. And we've got tools that make it easy for the feed producers and the livestock producers in various countries to plug in their own information into these, uh, these calculation tools, and it shows them the, uh, the financial impact of using U.S. soy. So that's, a, that's an important tool to look at the kind of the, what we call the intrinsic part of the U.S. soy advantage. And then, of course, extrinsically in the last few years, and especially it seems in the last year, we're seeing much more emphasis on the notion of sustainability. What is the environmental impact of the way that the food that people are buying around the world, what impact is it having on the environment? And U.S. soy has such a great track record, great data, and a great message with regard to our sustainability footprint. And we're seeing this in some markets around the world uh, really taking hold. And surprisingly, you, may think, you might think, well, Bangladesh, do they really care about sustainability? Entering, interestingly, they do. And in Egypt, they care about sustainability. And so these are things that go into making up this U.S. soy advantage. And in both of those two countries, we have uh, – we, 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 uh, I'll use this term, we fight above our weight, if you will. We, our market share is quite a bit higher uh, going into those countries, uh, well above 50% in both of them, uh, whereas we may not be more than 50% of the supply of soy to the world, but those countries have a, have a preference for the U.S., so they like to buy it whenever they can. Now, they had a tough time this past summer when we were a little bit short on supplies, but now I think they'll be back to taking U.S. when we have it available. Well, Jim, that sustainability conversation has driven soybean oil prices to record highs, which has resulted in a lot of beans being crushed and a lot of meal being produced. Do you expect to see soybean meal exports increasing throughout this next marketing year? We do, and that's something we're watching very carefully. You know, there's, uh, there's lots of discussion, and it seems like almost weekly there's an announcement of uh, either a crush expansion or a new crush plant potential. So we think it's inevitable that there will be more meal produced and the international markets will be a key place for the offtake of that. So we are looking at markets around the world and trying to uh, make sure we kind of have the path open for meal exports to take place. We think India is an interesting place that we think they'll be importing more meal in the future, but many other places as well. Lots of things to keep an eye on. Jim Sutter, the CEO of the U.S. Soybean Export Council. Thanks for taking the time to talk to us today. Thank you, Mike. And folks, when we return, Dr. Nathan Kaufman from the Kansas City Fed will join us to talk about inflation. AOA is brought to you by Cinex Premium Diesel. Cinex Premium Diesel. Diesel that doesn't mess around. Why do I plant NK seeds? Because every seed's an investment, and I don't gamble on my farm. Out here... Every seed's got to earn its acre. That's why I need corn and soybeans that deliver the results I expect. And it's why I always make room for elite performers from NK. Because every investment owes me a return. And success matters. Find your local NK retailer at nkseeds.com retailer. As a farmer, I want a cooperative that's there for me. Not the other way around. A local co-op that works for me and works with CHS. To connect me with local experts I know and trust. And put a global network of markets and supply at my fingertips. A co-op that's here to help us. Own every day. When you're an owner of a local cooperative connected to CHS, you get local expertise, a proven efficient supply chain, and global market access. Learn more at cooperativeownership.com. 
You're listening to AOA. I'm Kirsten Rawl. Cumulative marketing year-to-date export sales are strongest for corn, which is 286 million bushels ahead of the USDA's forecast pace seven weeks into the marketing year. Soybean and wheat export sales both slightly trail the USDA's target pace, but beans will quickly close that gap with more strong weeks like the current one. U.S. ethanol production has increased 20 percent over the last three weeks. Production spiked 6.2 percent higher this week compared to the last and hit a three-year high of 1.1 million barrels per day. On the Board of Trade this morning, December corn trading three cents lower at 5.36 and a fraction of a cent. The March contract down two and three quarters at 5.45. For soybeans, the January contract trading nine cents lower at 12.46. The March contract down eight and three quarters at 12.55 at a half cent. For wheat, Chicago wheat December down seven and a fraction at 7.42 and a fraction of a cent. Kansas City wheat December down 11 and a half cent at 7 48 and a fraction. Minneapolis spring wheat December down four and a fraction at 9.85 and a half cent. The March contract down four and a half cent at 9.70 and three quarters. Cattle packers followed a similar pattern over the past few weeks, making fairly large purchases in all regions at steady to firm prices. In the South, cattle traded mainly at $124 in both Texas and Kansas, while Northern live sales were mainly at $125. Dress prices were mostly at $196. Fed prices have remained in a very narrow trading range for most of the year. December live cattle down 57 at 129.90. The February contract down 60 at $135 even. Four feeder cattle January down 20 at 160.27. The March contract down 20 at 161.22. In lean hogs, the December contract $1.22 lower at 74.80. The February contract down $1.05 at 78.17. You're listening to AOA. I'm Kirsten Rawl. Hey, Dad. Your prescription will be ready in just a minute. Hey, Dad, your laundry will be ready in just a minute. Dad, your lunch will be ready in just a minute. Hey, honey, why don't you take a minute? When you help care for a loved one, you give them as much time as you can, making sure they're safe and comfortable. But it's just as important that you take some time for yourself. At AARP, we can help with information and useful tips on how you can maintain a healthy life balance, care for your own physical and mental well-being, and manage the challenges of caring for a loved one. Because the better care you take of yourself, the better care you can provide for your loved one. Thanks, Dad. Thank you. You're there for them. We're here for you. Find free care guides to support you and your loved one at aarp.org caregiving. That's aarp.org caregiving public service announcement brought to you by AARP and the Ad Council. AOA is brought to you by Cenex Matron Synthetic Diesel Engine Oils. Oils that run smart. Information America's farmers and ranchers need to know on AOA. Now, back to Mike Adams. AOA, Mike Pearson sitting in today for Mike Adams. It's impossible to turn around without seeing prices increasing on all kinds of goods around the country. Inflation is on our minds, and we wanted to talk to some folks who know a little something about it. Joining me for this segment is Dr. Nathan Kaufman. Dr. Kaufman is the vice president and an Omaha branch executive of the Kansas City Federal Reserve. He is the uh, the lead officer in Nebraska, and he's the bank's principal expert on the ag economy. Dr. Kaufman, thanks for taking the time to talk to us today. Uh, good morning. Thanks for having me. Let's talk about this inflation right off the bat. Last CPI number, the headline figure had us over 4%. Of course, the Federal Reserve is shooting for that 2% goal. Nathan, where do you see inflation going from here in the short term? Well, I think there have definitely been some short-term pressures on inflation that have caused some of those numbers. We, we can all think of those own, our own anecdotes as we've been buying things in different places. There's at least maybe some possibility that some of those sharp increases may be fading, but it doesn't necessarily mean that prices will go back down. So it's an open question. It's one that we're watching very carefully. Um, and as I'm sure everybody else is cognizant of the impact that it has on, on borrowers. 
you know, Dr. Kaufman, one of the things we've been hearing a lot about is prices have been rising because we have labor shortages out there in the countryside, because we have disruptions to our supply chain. This is making goods harder to get and people are willing to spend a little bit more. Is it fair in your mind to characterize this price run up as more of a supply shock than any other reason? Or what do you interpret as causing the inflation? We definitely hear those same anecdotes about labor shortages and, and yes, to supply chain disruptions. But I think there is a certain amount of this year anyway, the reopening of economies, not just in the U.S., but globally, that has caused a fairly significant increase in demand for a wide range of products when combined with some of those shortages, whether it's due to labor or supply chain, I think is why you're seeing some of those sharp increases. So there's a hope that as some of those things normalize or stabilize over time, that we might see things come back, back into a better uh, steady state. Well, as things come back into a steady state, you know, we look back in the rearview mirror, farm incomes have been very stable. Uh, that's an area of your research. Can you give us an update holistically? How does the ag economy look heading through harvest season here in 2021? Yeah, you know, when, when the pandemic started in the first couple of months, there was a lot of concern uh, with the decline in commodity prices and what that might mean. But the reality has been over the past year that things have been much brighter in agriculture. Crop prices are obviously quite high. Some markets much better than others. We know that the cattle market, for example, has a little bit more weakness in recognizing high feed costs. Um, 2021 looks to be a pretty good year from an income perspective, and you know even 2022 might be strong. But I know that it is worth it's worth keeping track of some of those costs that I'm sure a lot of farmers are feeling, and and profit margins that might get a little bit tighter as as we move forward through harvest. Well, and I know you talk a lot about the debt that farmers carry, and I would assume, and maybe you have the research to back this up, that a year like this where farmers are making some money, they're paying down debt. Is that what you're seeing reported uh, from banks you work with? We have been seeing a pay down in debt toward the end of last year. We actually started to see that happening where um, possibly with some of the government payments, some of that debt was being paid down. And then as commodity prices remained strong, we continued to see that happening. Um, I would say, again, in the livestock sector, that's one where we're seeing more demand for financing, recognizing probably the higher feed costs. Um, operating loans, though, have still been pretty low, and I think that's a reflection of you know just generally the strength of, of farm sector balance sheets. You know, when you're talking to the, the ag lenders in your district, do they anticipate that uh, that borrowing need to stay low or looking ahead at these fertilizer prices and climbing crude oil values? Do they think we're going to see a tick up in borrowing for 2022? I think there's probably a general expectation that some categories of demand for financing may increase, but there still has been a fair amount of strength in, in terms of the of farmer's balance sheets. And so at least for the time being, Again, with prices being relatively high, uh, the demand has still been pretty low. Again, you, you may see some industries, cattle, possibly in dairy or other places where that demand is stronger just on the basis of stronger increases in, in those prices that you're referring to. Well, that makes sense. I want to ask you one of the things we always start to think about when inflation is on our minds the next thing to be impacted, of course, are interest rates. We had record low interest rates for farm loans this past year. Dr. Kaufman, gaze into your crystal ball. What do you see coming ahead? Well, I think the first thing to keep in mind is just the scale of programs that had been implemented from the Federal Reserve. And, and probably the first thing to watch for is any kind of um, backing off of asset purchases that were part of the, those stimulus programs from last year, and that happening probably before you would see some sort of move in short-term interest rates. Um, again, I think as, as we look forward, uh, the, the, the general feeling is, is that some of those low interest rates are still needed to support the recovery, but recognizing that if inflation does become more persistent, there may be an, an, a need to reevaluate some of those policies. Well, and that trade-off, that uh, trade-off between low rates being needed to drive investment and concerns about inflation, that's what uh, you know we hear each month when the Fed reports their meeting. Do you have or can you share with us currently what the Federal Reserve's plan is to back off those asset purchases? Have we heard any announcements? There hasn't been any official announcement, but I think that there is a recognition that with some of the strength of the recovery that we've seen, unemployment rates being pretty low, economic activity increasing, that there is a desire to have some amount of normalization. There's another meeting coming up here in a couple of weeks, and so it's probably worth paying attention to 
some of the things that might be shared during that meeting as to maybe a first clue as to what might we might expect. Back in August, I'm kind of going through your research. You had uh, compiled a chart looking at interest rates by loan type, operating intermediate loans and real estate loans, Dr. Kaufman, and operating notes were at just about 4.75% on average, you know, across uh, your district. As you look to this year ahead and growers get back into those bankers' offices for their meetings, how much higher could that operating note uh, average percentage rise, do you think, in this next year? You know, I, I wouldn't want to speculate as to what those numbers might be, but I think that it's worth pointing out that a small amount of increase in some of those interest, interest rates are not likely to be the things that really create a lot of pressure for most producers. Now, certainly those that have a lot of leverage are going to feel that more than others. But some of the other costs that we're talking about here, possibly fertilizer, feed costs, maybe even um, labor costs for some operations are probably more visible. Um, so I don't think that they would be on the scale, that they would be the kinds of things that would tip, you know, more toward that direction on interest expenses relative to some other categories. Well, let's talk about those other categories. You mentioned a few of the big ones, those input costs, but of course, land values matter a lot to the people in agriculture. Uh, how have, uh, how have, how have land prices been moving and is it what you would have expected given the year of profitability for American agriculture? Uh, that's a great question and again at the beginning of the pandemic I think there was probably generally a feeling that we would see some softening in land values as commodity prices were declining. Toward the end of 2020 though when we started to see those prices firming up is definitely more strength in the land market and I would say that strength has persisted. Um, throughout most of the Midwest and the Corn Belt, you know, our data would show that maybe it's 10 to 15% increases year over year, which is quite strong. Some places it's maybe even more than that. So it's been a strong market for land. And I think, again, sort of owing to the fact that commodity prices have been high and farm income has been strong this year. Do you have any data at hand on how those purchases have been financed? Have, uh, have a lot of buyers been paying cash or putting substantial amounts of cash down? Or is there leverage happening here in the farmland market? We do have some data on that. Um, I would say that a lot of it still is being supported by cash. Um, the amount of debt is not quite what it had been in years prior. Um, before 2019, we were seeing pretty significant strength and demand for financing, not just for, for land and, and, and those sort of intermediate expenses, but even for operating loans. But Again, more recently across the board, farmers have generally had more cash to put towards some of that financing and, and have generally taken a, a fairly conservative approach, it seems. You know, what we're thinking of, of rural people buying land, of course, a lot of the time they're working with rural lenders, be it a credit union or a bank. And uh, how has overall lender health been in this time? We've seen tons of dollars stored in checking accounts and saving accounts. Are banks able to get it back out in the form of loans? Um, you know, banks are generally pretty flush with cash, and a lot of what we hear is that deposits are at very, very high levels. So a lot of those lenders definitely would stand ready to be able to make loans if there's a business case for it. And again, this year has been strong in agriculture, so I think that there would um, generally be a pretty healthy amount of availability for that lending if it's needed. Uh, and, and I think that would be across, you know, the spectrum of those that are providing that financing. So availability has not been a, a concern this year, um, again, just partly because of the strength of the ag economy. Nathan, as you look out over the next year, as you're preparing your forecast the year ahead, other than rising input costs and rising land values, what are some thoughts that growers should have on their minds, perhaps as they go back in for the renewal meetings this winter? Um, I think, again, just making sure that uh, this is no different than any other year, that borrowers are being careful about how much working capital they may have. And when costs are rising, that working capital might be might need to be higher than what it might have been in the five to 10 years prior. So maybe don't use those benchmarks in the same way, just in recognition, again, of being cautious that some of those costs may be higher than what you're used to. Um, uh, taking a conservative approach is, is a good thing and not getting too overextended when commodity prices are high, but at the same time, just being disciplined in terms of a marketing strategy. Being disciplined in terms of a marketing strategy, even when times are good, we've got to keep the pencil sharp when we're figuring up our break-evens with our lender. Dr. Nathan Kaufman, thanks so much for taking the time to talk to us today. You're welcome. And folks, stay with us when Adams on Agriculture returns. We'll be going to Poplar Grove, Illinois to talk to Jeremy Dutch about harvest is progressing in his part of the world.
AOA is brought to you by Cinex Premium Diesel. Cinex Premium Diesel. Diesel that doesn't mess around. 180 over 111 and I had a stroke. When I woke up, I couldn't speak or walk. 145 over 92 and then I had a heart attack. 182 over 100 and I had a heart attack and a cardiac arrest and then a stroke. Everything changed. It felt like my life was over. This is what high blood pressure sounds like. You might not feel its symptoms, but the results from a heart attack or stroke are far from invisible or silent. 150 over 90, and I had a stroke. If I would have followed a treatment plan, I would not be in this situation. 180 over 110, and I had a stroke. And I'm 33, so I never see this coming. If you've come off your treatment plan, get back on it. Or talk with your doctor to create an exercise, diet, and medication plan that works for you. Go to loweryourhbp.org. I had to tell. Everything's changed. I had to tell. Brought to you by the American Heart Association, American Medical Association, and the Ad Council. The Alzheimer's Association and the Ad Council present the story of Cynthia and Ed. My mother was always very active and independent, and she was familiar with her neighborhood. But one day, out of the blue, she stopped at the stop sign for much longer than usual. And uh, she didn't know whether she should go forward or, or turn or just stay at the stop sign. She wasn't even really sure where she was at. She was very concerned. It was very unsettling for her. It's important for you to talk to someone about it, to bring the family in on it. I felt so much better after my son told me Mom, I don't want you to worry or be afraid. I'll be there for you, and we'll figure it out. When something feels different, it could be Alzheimer's. Now is the time to talk. Visit alz.org slash ourstories to learn more. A message from the Alzheimer's Association and the Ad Council. Why do I plant NK seeds? Because every seed's an investment, and I don't gamble on my farm. Out here, every seed's got to earn its acre. That's why I need corn and soybeans that deliver the results I expect. And it's why I always make room for elite performers from NK. Because every investment owes me a return. And success matters. Find your local NK retailer at nkseeds.com retailer. Choose the proven performance of the Roundup Ready Extend Crop System, featuring high-yielding Extend Flex soybeans and the exceptional weed control of Extend to Max herbicide with Vapor Grip technology. Elite genetics, triple herbicide tolerance, flexibility that delivers results, backed by 25 years of innovation. That's the Roundup Ready Extend Crop System, the system of choice. Extend to Max is a restricted-use pesticide. Always follow stewardship practices, all pesticide label directions, and check with your state pesticide regulatory agency for specific restrictions in your state. They say if you listen hard enough, you can hear the corn grow. It's true. When you're out in the field, you understand its challenges and what it needs to thrive. Channel Seedsmen bring insights from the field to our team of bear plant breeders. Their knowledge inspires our product development. From your best ground to your most challenging conditions, our products are designed to perform in your fields. Visit ChannelListens.com to see our latest innovations. Always read and follow IRM where applicable. Grain marketing and all other stewardship practices and pesticide label directions. These acres you've put your life into, your view each harvest morning. While the ag industry changes, this land is meant to be here for your grandkids and then theirs. That's why ADS and drainage contractors across the nation are doing our part to protect America's farm families. We're proud to provide water management solutions that make family farms like yours more profitable, now and for generations to come. Learn more about how we keep families farming at ADSPipe.com. Every Tuesday, we'll be sitting around the table, sponsored by CHS. Join us and learn how CHS creates the vital connections that empower agriculture, helping farmers and ranchers like you succeed. We'll hear from different voices from throughout the cooperative system, sharing stories about how good things happen when people work together. Join us around the table every Tuesday or visit cooperativeownership.com to learn more. Your local FS is member-owned, and that means when you buy our flagship brands like FS Envision and FS High Soy, you're actually buying seed from yourself. And you wouldn't sell yourself anything but the best, would you? In field after field, FS brands are out yielding the competition. 
Talk to your local FS crop specialist about Envision corn or high soy soybean seed today. At harvest, you'll be glad you did. Envision and high soy are available exclusively at your local FS member company. AOA is brought to you by Cinex Premium Diesel. Cinex Premium Diesel. Diesel that doesn't mess around. Information America's farmers and ranchers need to know on AOA. Now, back to Mike Adams. Welcome back to AOA. Mike Pearson sitting in for Mike Adams today. It's time to get a harvest update. Illinois farmer Jeremy Dutch joins us now. Jeremy, where are you located in Illinois? Hey Mike, uh, I'm I'm actually located in Poplar Grove, Illinois, which is which is about 15, 20 miles northeast of Rockford. I'm probably I don't know two miles from the Wisconsin state line. Well, how are things looking, Jeremy? Are you uh, wrapped up either corn or beans as of yet? No, actually, we've got a little bit of each going on. Um, you know, a couple weeks ago. It was the beans got so dry we were having a little bit of issues. We we actually grow um, seed beans for Dairyland Seed up in uh, Wisconsin, and so we were harvesting about nine percent beans. They're a little bit too dry. We were worried about you know those those seeds cracking and and quality control issues for next year's seed. So we backed out of our beans, went into corn, um, and then we had uh, I don't know about a week or so we were knocked out due to rain, some much needed rain and. We're back into it and switch back over to beans, trying to get that wrapped up before we do our, the rest of our corn. So I, I would say we're probably maybe a tad over 50% done at this point. Well, tell us a little bit of how those beans have been coming along. Yields near what you were expecting? Yeah, you know, Mike, I think they're actually a little bit better than expected. You know, we, we could have used a little bit of more rain in August. Um, we, we have some, you know, gently rolling ground some lighter soils mixed in with some heavier soils i think we're seeing you know the heavier soils in our area that is doing a lot better than some of the lighter soils uh the lighter soils are having a, a little bit of yield drag and, and standability issues we've got some beans leaning in some of the lighter soils where we can only you know really harvest them one way but overall the yields are are, are certainly above our our trend line and they're 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 better than expected you know we're, we're any, any field we're at, we're kind of in between that 60, 70 bushel yield um, field average. So that's, uh, I can't complain with some of the weather we had. Well, now your beans, of course, going into that seed market is a little different. But for folks, your neighbors and everybody else in that region, have you been keeping track of bean basis locally? How's it been holding up? Yeah, no, so, yeah, it's, it's actually, um, right now it's about 30. In our local area, the bean base is about 30 to 35 cents under at this point um so you know like you said for us it's a little bit different um being in the seed market for some of the local guys that's the range they're at right now in some of the local elevators over on the corn side of the ledger jeremy i was talking to a friend of mine there in northern illinois he said tar spot has been so bad on his operation that some yep. some days when he finishes the combine looks black are you seeing that in your fields <laughs> yes unfortunately we we have the same issue um you know, I was I, I made some notes here, and uh, the tar spot is definitely one that's come in, and and I think, in most of our early varieties, is really you know taking some top end of the yield off. Um, you know, they also got in my area. We got a little bit of bug pressure, I think, due to a little of the lack of rain. We were, you know, also maturing about the same time as Central Illinois, so it took a little bit to get some of the planes that usually come fly over with uh, you know a little fungicide and bug juice. They're a little bit uh, later this year than, than where we normally are um, is relative to maturity. So I think all of that kind of took a little top end off, but still great yields on the corn and, and low moisture. So that, that always helps. It does help. But, you know, you mentioned tar spot and you've had rain. I know some thunderstorms have come through your area. How has standability been? You know, it's actually really variable. It's... Um, it's really, we're seeing some varieties that, you know, just stock quality and health of the plant itself, you know, uh, resistance to certain types of um, stresses uh, that, 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 you know, are having issues with, with standing. And then there's other varieties that we have that, you know, are standing really well. So, you know, our, our goal in the next uh, few days here, if we get past the, some rain we've got coming in here today, we get past that, we'll probably switch and go grab some of the corn that we're worried about going down. But it's definitely variable on, on, on different varieties of which ones are getting hurt more than others. 
on the corn side, Jeremy, in your region, where does most of that corn go? Is it ethanol plants there in northern Illinois, or are you seeing a lot of markets there in the, the livestock sector? You know, I think most of it's ethanol plants. We're, you know, we're, we're fortunate still to not be too far from the Illinois River. So, um, you know, between we've got some ethanol plants to the north and south of us. Um, with, uh, you know, the Princeton location and some up, the, you know, up just north of the Prairie to Sac area in Wisconsin. Um, and then the Illinois River Terminal, um, they can go to ADM, um, you know, your car bills, things of that sort. A majority of, I think, the corn ends up in, in one of those two places. And then the other percent, you know, may go to uh, the old corn products um, just on the south side of Chicago. Interesting. Jeremy, I know in your day job, when you're not in the combine, you're a lender. We just talked to Dr. Nathan Kaufman from the Kansas City Fed. Have you been hearing from, from customers? How is overall ag health in your region looking so far? Yeah, you know, I think overall ag health has been really good. I mean, these, these, some of this price rebound has, you know, allowed some guys to build some working capital along with some of the uh, COVID relief that was out there uh, with farmers. I think one of the things that a lot of guys at this point, along with myself, you know, we're kind of looking at is, you know, what's in store for 2022. We, we see some input prices going up on the fuel side. Obviously, the fertilizer side, there's a lot of talk of, you know, the increased, um, you know, cost on fertilizer, the ability to, to source it and things of that sort. So I, I think that, you know, we, we've healed, we look pretty good, but there's some uncertainties in the horizon for the, the short, near-term future. On the fertilizer side, have you been buying ahead, getting some things locked in? <laughs> Unfortunately, we haven't. And maybe, maybe about thirty to you know forty-five days ago was the, really the right time to do it. Um, we haven't because uh, right now I've actually just just made a call and tried to get some prices on some stuff. And we're and for about thirty-two percent, I think we're at about six fifty a ton. Um, DAF is around seven fifty a ton, and ammonia is around that thousand dollars a ton in our local area. So we're kind of, yeah, I think we missed the ball. We're going to hang out a little bit. I know some of the local co-ops were saying that, uh, you know, they they're potentially having an issue trying to source it. That is the challenge, getting it to the growers. Jeremy Dutch, who's on Twitter at Farming Banker. Thanks for taking the time to talk to us today. And listeners, thanks, tune in to tomorrow. We'll talk about that fertilizer market. And we'll talk about a whole lot more on Adams on Agriculture. Thanks for listening today. AOA is brought to you by Cinex Premium Diesel. Cinex Premium Diesel. Diesel that doesn't mess around. Why do I plant NK seeds? Because every seed's an investment, and I don't gamble on my farm. Out here, every seed's got to earn its acre. That's why I need corn and soybeans that deliver the results I expect. And it's why I always make room for elite performers from NK. Because every investment owes me a return, and success matters. Find your local NK retailer at nkseeds.com retailer. These acres you've put your life into, your view each harvest morning. While the ag industry changes, this land is meant to be here for your grandkids and then theirs. That's why ADS and drainage contractors across the nation are doing our part to protect America's farm families. We're proud to provide water management solutions that make family farms like yours more profitable, now and for generations to come. Learn more about how we keep families farming at adspipe.com.